the Be Contagious Leadership Experience. And you know that I love social media. I think it is such a huge and important tool in today's world. And today, I've got an amazing gift. Brady Shearer stops by the neighborhood. He runs Pro Church Tools, and he is absolutely brilliant in the world of social media. So sit back, take some notes, be ready to possibly dance on TikTok, and listen to Brady Shearer. Guys, welcome to another edition of the Be Contagious Leadership Experience. I've got a great guest today, and I actually found him while scrolling through TikTok. And I know what you're saying, Hernando, you're way too old to be on TikTok. But I love it, and I found Brady Shearer, who is with Pro Church Tools. Um, I loved his his mind, his content, the marketing strategies behind it, everything else. Brady, how you doing, man? Great to be here, Hernando. Thanks for having me. No, I'm 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 honored that you able to came come on and really share your your knowledge and your vision and what you've been doing. For the people who don't know you, if you don't mind giving like the 15 second, I want it to be longer than 15 second, but more like your elevator spiel of who you are, what you do, and why. Sure. So uh, I'm Brady Shear, Canadian in Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada, and uh, I run a company called Pro Church Tools. I started it about seven years ago when I was in Bible college. So I have my degree in youth ministry, student ministry, theology. I was studying to be a pastor and kind of along the way got hired as a media director at my church plant. And they put a camera in my hands, laptop in my hands and said, look, we need you to do everything for us when it comes to web, social, video, branding, design, communications. And I was learning it all on the job because even though I'm only 29 years old and when I was in Bible college just five years ago, we still weren't learning anything that had pertained to digital whatsoever. And so I was picking up these skills and I figured I see all my classmates that are going into ministry. Also, if I need these skills, uh, they likely will as well. And so I started teaching everything that I was learning, publishing blogs, YouTube videos, and we were building an audience with pro church tools, which eventually led to launching products and building a business. And now, you know, we, uh, we've got about 20 employees, a bunch of different locations, and we're still doing content uh, till this day. <laughs> now, one of the things that really, when I was able to dive into your content, there's this theme. Uh, the theme is like, it's the biggest communication shift in 500 years for the church. Go in that a little bit more so, so people get a better understanding of it. Sure. I mean, you said it because I forgot to say it, which just goes to show you I still need so much work in this area. But everything we do is helping churches navigate that biggest communication shift. And 500 years ago, that was the printing press. So that was the first time where the Bible was able to be distributed to a large number of people. The everyday folk back 500 years ago, they couldn't access scripture and they were reliant upon the senior leadership at their churches and their bishops around them to take the message of God and share it with them. And that freedom to information was paramount to the Protestant Reformation and the Bible still to this day being one of the best-selling books in the history of humanity. And we're living through a similar communication shift right now with access to information. Now it's not just the written word, but we have access to pretty much any type of information we could possibly want to consume with the touch of a button from a mobile device or from a computer. And what's amazing about the last communication shift is that 
while Christians were resistant to it at first, which is a common thread amongst uh, our history a little bit, we were able to leverage that communication shift to make the gospel known to the ends of the earth. And so what we're trying to help churches do now is navigate these tricky waters. The analogy that we often use is we're pioneers in a new land. You know, I live in Canada here. When people first came and settled from Europe here in Canada, they were met with, uh, you know, a stern uh, realization that's quite cold here. And those first few years, you know, first few decades, people are trying to figure out, okay, how can we get food that grows here that can make us able to last the winters and they're figuring it out. We're in a very similar process right now. We've discovered pretty much all the physical land on this planet, but now we've got a whole new digital frontier and we're all trying to make sense of it. You finding me on TikTok is especially uh, relevant to that because I'm still trying to figure out TikTok and every content, uh, every piece of video that I publish there, I'm always like, okay, did I made some adjustments. Does this make more sense? Because it's brand new, brand new frontier and we're all figuring it out, but we're figuring it out together. Right. No, that's, that's awesome. When, when you are talking, obviously it's the marketing, it's the social media, um, churches. I mean, we could say traditionally, as you may, you may have mentioned that they're slow coming around with that. How have they accepted it? And in terms of when you are talking to them about all these type of tips, um, are they having a hard time grasping it? Well, I mean, we're living through a pretty uh, interesting moment right now where churches are being almost forced to embrace online technology where maybe they've kind of dragged their feet up until this point. I mean, we're recording this mid-April 2020 and in-person gatherings are almost suspended entirely across North America and much of the rest of the world. And we just came out of Easter. You know, some pastors will call that like the Super Bowl of church Sundays, you know, one of the biggest weekends of the year. And for the first time in history, it was taking place entirely in digital venues. And so we like to use the phrase, seize the 167. And the definition behind that is that every single week, your church has 168 hours. And traditionally, just about one of those hours is going to be dedicated to an in-person service. Maybe it's two hours, but right around one hour, which means that you've got 167 hours left where you can reach people with the hope of Christ. And what's amazing about the time that we live in right now is that we can freely reach people in that time using digital platforms. Whereas in decades past, you know, my parents, grandparents, if they wanted to reach their community, they would have been reliant upon in-person gatherings. And this isn't to diminish in-person gatherings whatsoever. Obviously, we all miss them right now, and they are tremendously important, and we can't get rid of them. But now we have a both-and situation where we can have these in-person gatherings, but we can also seize these digital platforms and make use of them because they are so rich in attention. And we always say that attention is the most valuable commodity your church can possess because you've got the most important message of all time. That message is literally resurrection, hope, bringing what's dead to life. But you need people's attention first if you want to share that message. Mm. And getting attention is difficult. It's much easier to go to where attention is already being paid. And that verb is so gospel-centric. Go. Go to where the people are and take the message to them. And digital platforms are perfect for that because we spend so much time on them across all demographics. And it's only becoming more prevalent with Gen Z that's behind me. I'm a millennial. We were kind of the first digital natives growing up on social in high school. But now Gen Z, you know, my daughter's five years old. She's going to have social media for the duration of her life. And so we're still at the very beginning, the precipice of this. And so if your church has dragged your feet, if you've been reluctant, there's still time. Right. 
Wow. Uh, there's so many different things in there because, you know, a lot of our listeners um, are coaches, they're leaders. They're still trying to navigate, right? A lot of them are just throwing social media in a big pool where they're like, well, I'll just put whatever content on there without even being, I don't want to say smart, but really intentional on what it is. So when you're working with your clients, you're working with your churches, there's obviously an intentional message. Do you help them put that intentional message together or is it just the tools that allows them to get it out? Yeah, I mean, there's there's really two sides to that. There's the philosophy and then there's the actual execution. So let's use TikTok as an example because it's new to all of us and we met there also, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> Philosophically, I wanted to be active on TikTok because the attention that's being paid right uh, there right now is massive. And there's this element of predictable virality where organic reach and organic discovery is at an all-time high. This podcast is a great evidence of that. Whereas with platforms like YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, it's much harder to break through on those platforms right now. The saturation is greatly increased and there's really no incentive for those platforms to give you free organic reach. They'd much rather you pay for it TikTok is different. It's kind of like buying into real estate when it wasn't considered that valuable. You know, you could buy something in Calabasas right now, which is incredibly expensive. But for those people that bought it however long ago, 100 years ago, it wasn't considered that awesome then. And so being an early mover, especially if you don't have that much free money to spend on social, if you don't have, you know, incredible existing audience, I've had a couple of friends of mine that have started on TikTok, and they're both hovering around a million followers and they did not have massive pre-existing audiences whatsoever. But now because they moved early on TikTok and invested the time there, which who knows, that could have been time wasted because there was no guarantee there would be a return on that investment. But it has worked out that way. So that's the philosophical side. And then there's the execution side, which is the actual nuance of creating content with the unique elements of language and specifics for each platform you know what we'll do on instagram is different from what we'll do on facebook from twitter from youtube and from tiktok we'll probably take one singular message and publish it on each platform but we have to tweak it we have to re-record it i have to rewrite it because the way that you publish and, and curate create content for these platforms is is different and so there's really two sides that we teach it's the philosophy which is understanding the why and then there's the execution which is the what and the how you're talking about TikTok, you're talking about Instagram, you're talking about all the different avenues to do it. Um, when you are looking at um, something to create, right? I mean, you're a very creative individual. I am. Some of our audience members are not. What is the key to creativity so that it could open the flood doors, right? Because I know a lot of people are like, oh, TikTok, all you're doing is dancing on there, right? Well, that's it's so much more than that. You got to look past that. What are some of the things that you've done in your industry, in your own personal life, that you have been able to expand your creativity because you actually tried it? Yeah, a few things come to mind. One is understanding who you are and what you're good at. And that really only comes from experimenting and practice. So it's a little bit of a paradox. And that is, I try to stay in my lane with what I do. I'm very good at a select few number of things. And I try to make sure that I'm only speaking to my audience about those things. And yet I only could have discovered those things through practice and through publishing things that ended up flopping. And so this is kind of where that pioneer analogy comes back. 
we're trying things. We're throwing stuff against the wall. Sometimes it sticks. Sometimes it doesn't. I'm right in the throes of this with TikTok because it's still so new and I'm still trying to figure out what is my voice in this new platform with its different languages and expectations. And so on the one hand, you've got to really keep experimenting and trying new things. You never want to become so entrenched in your own ideologies and routines and rhythms that you're kind of boring people with social. One of our key mantras is repeat equals defeat. And so that pertains specifically to design on social and that, you know, not everything needs to be so curated. You can just try different things. One of the things that succeeds for us the most on Instagram still to this day is screenshots of tweets posted on Instagram, completely absurd, bizarre, shouldn't work. And yet is exceptional at gaining attention, which again is the most important commodity and then getting people to engage with content. And so when it comes to expanding creativity, another thing I like to do, is look to industries beyond my own. And so I don't generally look to the church space to be inspired to create church-related content. I look to the fitness space. I look to the influencer space. I look to the uh, food space. I look to the travel space. They're much bigger and usually a little bit more ahead than my spaces. And so what are the key leaders in those spaces doing that I can take and then apply to my own content. And that's really a great key for, for all creativity. You know, one of my favorite mini docs from like 10 years ago at this point is called everything is a remix. And the entire ideology behind that series, that web series was that there's really nothing new under the sun at this point. And, And everything that is created at this point that does feel new is some type of fusion between two different existing things. And so, so much of my creativity is trying to find those fusion points, find those intersections, because that's when you can get something that, that feels fresh and feels, you know, full of tension because it's unfamiliar and yet also feels revelatory at the same time. Mm. I, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think when you're looking at other avenues, you're looking at other businesses, other industries, it feeds that creativity. You know, there's so many people that stop themselves from, from doing things because of fear, because of lack of faith or hope, all of those things. Like you're a very energy guy. Like you, you are go-getting, you are getting after. What do you do personally-wise, per, your own personal leadership, your own personal accountability that gets you going through your day so that you are constantly always looking at new things or new ideas or repurposing different things? Yeah, well, I have a pretty uh, ingrained routine when it comes to my day-to-day life. I thrive in structure. And so this goes, a bit, again, back to knowing yourself. If you're the type of person that kind of like thrives in that, in that chaos, and there are plenty of people that do, you wouldn't probably find as much creativity in my space. Another one of the things that I do every day is I write. So I make sure that every day I'm, I'm writing something, whether that be, you know, new scripts for TikTok videos, for YouTube videos, for blog posts, help articles, uh, just responding to, you know, DM after DM, answering people's questions. And so what's great about that process is that it's always kind of forcing me to put something on the page. And, you know, I, I do a lot of videography as well. And, and so much of capturing a great clip comes down to just hitting record enough times. And so, you know, we'll get out in the field and we'll start, you know, putting our camera on its sliders, throw the drone up in the air, try a different lens, just keep pointing and recording, find different light, find different angles, different framing. And then you get back into 
post-production, you start looking at what you filmed and maybe 75% of it is, you know, pretty mediocre, but then there's 25% of clips that feel really great. And then there's a select few that almost feel transcendent. And that only could have happened because you just, again, kept trying new things and forcing yourself to hit record or forcing yourself to sit down and write. And then what's great is you can implement a kind of a review process where of the one to two to three clips that felt amazing, or of that one TikTok video that got 10 times as many likes as others, or the one social post that got three times as much engagement as others, you can look at it and begin to reverse engineer how you arrived at that increased level of engagement or success. And so I can look at that video clip and go, okay, the framing was this way, the lighting was this way. I need to look for that again next time we're out here because I know that's a winning formula. Or for this YouTube video, the length was this, the content was this. In the first five seconds, instead of doing what I normally do, I did this, and that made a big difference. And then you do that enough times, and you can look at you know, 10, 20, 100 different winning formulas that have worked for you in the past. And then again, now you get to re-enter that fusion process. All right, this has worked, this has worked, but I've never done those two things together. Let's try it. Doesn't guarantee a successful piece. It might still be a flop, but... Once you've got something working for you, I love that review process and basically just keep pounding on what's going well for you. Now, I'm a big basketball fan. When you have a mismatch that's working on the court, you know, you just keep going to it. Put the big guy on the little guy or put the shooter on the immobile big guy. And just until they make an adjustment, keep going to what's working. No need to reinvent the wheel once you have found something successful. Yeah. The, you talk about self-awareness and your routine. How much of your self-awareness has come from your routine. And if you don't mind diving a little deeper into your routine, what do you do on a daily basis? How you schedule your workflow? You said you have a five-year-old daughter, so I know just dealing, you know, handling that as well too. There's a lot of different things that come with being a parent and running a company and doing all the social media posts. Sure. So we have an office about a five minute drive from my house. And that's where about 10 of our employees that are local to this area of Niagara uh, work. I'll spend usually my afternoons in there when we are uh, actually in our normalcy, not just at the stay at home kind of mandate. Um, usually I'll sleep in till about 730 each day, uh, get up, let the dog out, brew the coffee, sit down here in my office, home office at eight. From eight till noon is when I do all of my most creative work. So this is writing, this is um, social media, post composition, all of that good stuff. Uh, Noon is when I'll have my first meal of the day. Afternoon is usually dedicated to uh, meetings like this, podcasts, hosts, uh, things like that. Second meal is usually around three, third meal is around six, final meal is around... uh, seven, eight, nine. So usually I'll have four smaller meals per day, uh, asleep by 11, 1130. So at least eight hours of sleep a night. Sleep for me is really crucial. I'm a bit more fragile than most in that respect. Um, and then working out usually is at the gym right before lunch around 11 AM right now. It's kind of just at home workouts in the afternoon as I can get them in. So that's kind of the routine. Um, for me, fitness, eating right, sleep, water intake are all so, so paramount. Virtually everything that I've said so far on this podcast is a moot point if those four cornerstone habits are not firing Mm -hmm. as they should be. So when I eat poorly, that's when my creativity just goes in the tank. I pretty much lose any and all of my flow. It's just gone. And so those things are so important to me. 
I use a sleep app called Sleep Cycle to track all of that. I get all my meals delivered to my home. So when I'm eating, it's like pre-made meals for me from a cook that I'm just opening, heating up and eating. Uh, All of the macros are right there. So I'm like trying to automate that as much as I can. Um, That's a pretty new thing. But even before that, you know, I was just cooking everything myself and then prepackaging it sort of thing. So that's kind of how the how the routine works. Um, to your original question, which remind me was, what yeah. about the routine? No, no, you could because you're you're very self aware, right? And people always mm. try to be self aware, but I think some are forgetting that having a routine allows you to be self aware because you're cutting time out and putting the detail in things. Yeah, and I always hesitate to declare anything about my own self awareness because that in and of itself would be a statement lacking some element of self-awareness. So I, I, one way that I have increased my level of self-awareness is being very open with my friends and team, kind of requesting critical feedback, asking for them to point out my blind spots because I have many. And one of the greatest gifts that I can receive is one of them saying, hey, you know, when you do that, it's like not so great because otherwise I won't ever realize it. And the thought of me having destructive habits or even like just annoying social things that I return to that bother people or are actually hurtful, the thought of me not being aware of that and that persisting for decades what that means is so much damage in personal relationships and like exponential hurt to those around me, however close to me they may be. And so asking for that critical p- feedback is super helpful. And then just tracking everything. So I track every single thing I eat, every single thing I drink. Obviously, all of my content that I'm producing is trackable because it lives in perpetuity online and keeping a record as much as I can of my day to day life because you can't really identify problems or things that are working for you in the moment because it's just happening to you. If you can revisit it two to three days later, that's when you can begin to get a clearer picture of what's happening. And this is why I love to film myself, love to record myself because listening back to it is this very sobering, unfiltered glimpse into how I sound, how I come off. And that's how I pick up, oh, that's an awkward gesture that you're doing. Why is your hand pointed that way? That's gonna be distracting. And the same goes for creativity. Talking about videography, you know, you shoot a clip, you love it. You get back in post a couple of days later and you're like, what was that? That's, why did I think this is good? <laughs> and, and another that you weren't so jazzed about, you see it and you're like, oh, that is the one. And so a- allowing yourself to separate in the moment and, and review at a later date is also great for increasing self-awareness. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that so many, I've had uh, a bunch of emails on on the podcast like how do we increase self-awareness and one of the things i don't really touch on is routine i only touch on because you bring it up because i know for myself too like i could come across like i have this great routine but the reality is i I don't like i I get up i'm like oh shoot i gotta go for my old man walk i like to call in the morning and then i get my coffee and then then all of a sudden it's like oh my gosh it's like 9 30 or 9 or 8 30 i'm like oh my gosh i gotta do all these things and just listening to all that is is uh is tremendous advice which leads me my my next question is um how did you develop this own personal leadership for yourself um and in many ways why did you do it for yourself um i I think that's a, a big thing i know you said that you need structure but where does this all come from Sure. So I'm a very much type A, one on the Enneagram, achiever, perfectionist type personality, whatever 
personal assessment tool that you prefer. And so I kind of default to seeing life through systems and structures that can be optimized and need to be optimized. And so that's kind of just my general personality. I, I lean into that naturally. And there are, of course, downsides to that as well. And, and I'm also 29. One of the and I say that because like, I don't have anything figured out. Like the routine that I'm in right now is working especially well for this moment in time. But if you had looked a year ago at my routine, it would have been different because I'm still in the process of discovery. One quote gets attributed to Steve Jobs a lot. Not sure if he's the original quoter. So many quotes are misattributed, but I'm always reminded of it. And it it simply says, um, up until you're 30, year old, uh, 30 years old, you build your habits. And after 30, your habits build you. And, you know, because I'm a year away from turning 30, I've been very mindful of this the past five years, just looking at my life and saying, okay, what are some destructive habits that exist that, again, if you extrapolate this over decades, are going to, like, cause irreparable damage. And I, I think about the philosophy of compounding interest and how amazing that is for investing and for financing. But the, you know, the rule of compounding exists in all areas of our lives. You know, I'm not really going to see any results from the one workout I do later today. But if I do that a thousand times over five years, then I see results. And I'm not going to really receive any results on that first TikTok video that I published. It might only get, you know, eight views or 800 views or whatever is, you know, good or bad for me in that moment. But if I keep publishing week after week, day after day, look back a year later, now I've made some considerable movement. And so everything that I do, again, execution wise in my life comes from philosophy. And one of my most driving forces in my life that I believe is that philosophy of compounding interest or just the rule of compounding and making sure I'm doing the right things because over the long term, that will contribute to and result in the success that I am aiming for and the things that matter to me most, whether that be finances, um, my relationships, my fatherhood, my um, spousalness, uh, my friendships, my relationship with, you know, with God, my faith, and my health, all of those things, I have to be making the right decisions now because if I'm not making the right decisions now, that means that the compounding effect is still working, but not in my favor. Like the rule of compounding isn't something I choose to opt into. It's happening whether I'd like it to or not. I want it to work in my favor, not against me and not my favor. <laughs> no, I, man, I, I love it. I, I think I find... Like listening to you talk and going through all your content, man, I, I find this the work that you do so interesting. And I and I and for the people listening, like I found Brady on TikTok, and one of the things that really stood out to me was the production value of it. And the content, of course, well too. But you know, you getting to that point, you guys, you seeing what works, what doesn't work. Uh, one of my, my second last question is this. You said you started this around seven, eight years ago. Right? So so what like was there any fear when you dove into this full time? I know you're probably 22, 23 years old. So maybe at that age, you're like, I'm just going to go all, all in. But, some, but sometimes we have all these things that maybe our parents told us or what society tells that we should be doing. And you went against it in some ways, starting this. What was that? How did you do it? How did you get over that fear? Or was there any fear? Yeah, so to paint the picture, I'm 21, 22 years old. I'm newly married, just a couple of months. Wife and I are living in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. It's the most northern major metropolis on this continent. So like ice road truckers living, winters are eight months long. Just bad scene, Hernando, bad scene. Uh, 
that's where I'm living. We're both going to school there. So I'm in third year college and you know, I'm already in debt because of school and I'm working as a freelance videographer. I'm also working at my church as this, in this media director role, wife is working two jobs, retail in the evening insurance during the day. And we're in this one bedroom, 14th floor apartment and our dining room slash office slash living room slash kitchen is the same room. Like it's all the same. And that's where I'm doing my work, kind of just messing around with WordPress themes, trying to create a blog so that I can post some training content and maybe it gets indexed in organic search with SEO and someone finds it, joins my email list. And that was the process at the very beginning. And there's definitely a certain element to it of being that age where you have no money and no time because you have so much to do, but also you don't have too much to lose. You know, I was newly married. It's not like I didn't have commitments or bills to pay, but it wasn't like being 30, 40 or or 50, where there is a little more risk to that just because of the more expansive nature of who relies on you and what you're responsible for. So I, I don't want to overlook that. But I think if there's anything I know about my own success is that you have to have grit, work ethic, and a certain amount of delusion. And I have to thank my parents for that. And they're just complete, as a kid, repetition of, you know, you can just do anything you want. Like, you're so good. And they they wouldn't say it like flippantly. They'd be like, you picked up that skill extremely well, extremely quickly. That's unusual. You have a tremendous ability to just accomplish things that you put your mind to. Mm -hmm. And not because they said that to, you know, every single person in their life, but they were picking up on something that was true about me. That being said, they were also some of the detractors when I launched this. And, you know, when I made my first dollar online, I remember I was like, I called my mom and I was like, yeah, sup? You like that? She said it could never be done. Spoiler alert, that customer asked for a refund. It was a mistake. And then I cried on the phone for about an hour afterwards with my mom. But eventually I did make some money online. And you know, I was able to uh, say, see, you know, you didn't think it was possible. And it wasn't that my mom didn't believe in me. She's like, I just didn't actually know this was a real thing. I mean, it's 2012. I thought this was all a hoax. Like who would have thought it was actually real? And, you know, fast forward seven years and we have like, you know, 20 employees were a, you know, multi-million dollar business and things have grown exponentially. But in those early days, but still to this day, there's a certain type of delusion. Like there is fear and I'm a big proponent of taking calculated risks, but I also have this just bizarre level of faith that I can just accomplish anything. And then what happens is when something goes right for you and it goes in your favor, the, the, the delusion just gets increased. And this is what happens with like billionaire sports owners. They take over a franchise and the, and like the basketball minds are like, you probably shouldn't do this Tillman for of the Houston Rockets. And he's like, no, we should definitely trade all our tall guys. There's definitely going to be good. Chris Paul, get rid of them. Why? Well, because if you are a billionaire and have accomplished that much in your life, the number of things that have gone right for you must create this extreme level of delusion where if anyone tells you not to do something, you're like, why would I trust you? Everything I've done has worked out in my favor. It would just be not obeying the math to trust you. And so there's a bad side to that as well, where you can become uh, lacking of any risk aversion and you start being reckless. And so it's a tough thing to balance, but some type of delusion and at the same time, a level of self-awareness is the tension I'm always trying to manage because it seems to be the sweet spot. Right. I love it, man. I love the fact you call it hope, faith. My, I grew up, my mom was like, she, she ingrained in my head, like every day we had to 
read and recite Psalm 91, which is like basically you're protected of over everything because you love it. Like it doesn't matter. So I grew up, grew up with this sort of like, yeah, I'm good. Like I'm gonna be, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm gonna be safe with everything else. I'm gonna try all these different things. And it did play a huge part in the faith and hope and jumping into things where other people like saying, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing with your life? And I, sometimes I'll say, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, but he does. And that's all that matters, you know, to me with it. Brady, man, I appreciate you coming on. I got one more question for you. And here, this is, people love this question. So now it's on you. When they make the full feature film on your life, who is playing Brady? Uh, well, I was on a, live call the other day with someone who I don't know too well. And they said, I remind them of Andy Samberg. So I'm going to listen to the people out there. I, I don't, she's like, yeah, you look a little different, but like the mannerisms are right there. And I think that's important, you know, like looks you can pull off, you can de-age. I mean, we saw the Irishman with Scorsese. Like there's a lot that can be done with age and looks. It's all about the mannerisms. So if they felt like I was being very much like Andy Samberg, you know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, maybe he can, he can pull that off in the inverse. <laughs> Brady, man, I appreciate you coming on. Where can people find you anywhere that you tell them how they can get a hold of you? Sure. So ProChurchTools.com is the website at ProChurchTools on TikTok and then YouTube.com slash ProChurchTools. And then if you just search my name on Instagram and Twitter, Brady Shearer, I'm pretty responsive there personally. If you have any questions, DMs, you can hit me up on those platforms. Man, Brady, I appreciate it, man. You gave some tremendous knowledge on just what you do, but how to market out, but also the hope, the faith in your story, man. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, grateful. Thanks for inviting me. How about Brady? He was dropping dimes all the way from Canada. Make sure you check out his website. Follow him on the gram. He is unbelievable. Guys, I want to thank you so much for your support for the Be Contagious Leadership Experience. You know, without you, this movement would have no traction whatsoever. So please visit us at HernandoPlanels.com. DM me on the gram, on Twitter, on every social media network, or even shoot me an email. I would love to hear from you. So remember, you are powerful, you are amazing, and you are a light for so many people. I love you guys. Till next time, I'll see you on the BCLE. We'll be right back.